Good afternoon. It's Sunday, November 10th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news, all within 15 minutes or fewer. I'm Connor Tapp, and on Sundays, the day's college football news is the games that just happened on Saturday. So, Trey Scott joins me to unpack everything we just witnessed. Trey, I mean, I feel like we've been complaining throughout the season, a little bit chalky, but the last couple weeks we've had quite a bit of turmoil, and boy, did we get it in bunches on Saturday. Let's start with the headliner. LSU beats Alabama 46-41. LSU jumps out to a 33-13 halftime lead in Tuscaloosa and hold on for dear life to beat the Crimson Tide 46-41. So, you know, this is an outcome we all thought could happen. It's about what we, I think, what how we thought it might look, maybe except for Alabama just totally not showing up for half one. So what what do we feel like we come out of this game understanding that maybe we didn't going in? I would, I would say LSU is, I mean, Connor, I thought it was, so it was 33-13 or whatever at half, and LSU starts driving in the second half, and they obviously had that, you know, fumble interception combo but I was like is this about to be 40 to 13 and I guess my big picture takeaway in that regard was it felt like one of those moments that we overreact to in regards to Alabama like is this the end of the dynasty like they were about to be down 40 to 13 at home right and I was like dude this is this is it furious second half rally they finally got Najee Harris involved I thought Tua was heroic but I think the big takeaway here is this just might be LSU's season. Yeah. Like, this is a perfect storm. A quarterback like this does not come along every day or every year. Or if you're a program like LSU, this is a once-in-every-20-years type of team. The, the receivers, Clyde Edwards-Alaire all of a sudden going from sort of a, you know, a, a, veteran, a veteran whatever running back to a superstar. Joe Burrow locked up the Heisman on Saturday, you know, barring a, a total regular season meltdown. This feels like a team of destiny. Yeah, really impressive performance uh, from LSU. 31 of 39, 393 yards passing for Joe Burrow, added 64 yards rushing. I mean, that's insane. That is insane against Alabama. I know this isn't your older brother's Alabama defense, but that is just, like, I I can't say enough things about Joe Burrow. Yeah, he's incredible. And you kind of are waiting for a moment where the LSU offense is going to kind of disappoint and kind of revert to our prior expectations of what an LSU offense will look like, kind of the mistakes they'll fall into, but it's just not happening. Uh, And you mentioned Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Man, Joe Burrow deservedly gets like all of the credit and attention, but I don't know if I have more fun watching a college football player than I do watching Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Just the combination of his build and everything else. I mean, he's just, it's like he magnetically repels tacklers. It's really something to watch. And big day for him 103 yards rushing, 77 receiving, four total touchdowns. Uh, Just absolutely immense performance out of him Uh, and there will be you know talk about whether Alabama is still in the mix in the playoff race and we'll get into that on our Monday episode when we kind of preview the uh, uh, playoff committee's top four but just in terms of how good is Alabama Trey do you think Alabama is still a top four team in this country I actually do 
I actually do. Um, I don't, I don't know if I say that because I think Alabama's, you know, incredible or because I look at the other teams I'm like, well, Penn state, Georgia's loss to South Carolina looks horrible. So look, here's the thing for Alabama. I think Tua, you know, I, I think Alabama fans, I hope they're nothing but, you know, just grateful and impressed by that performance. I know 21 for 40 is not ideal. I know he had a horrible fumble, but he threw for 400 yards, four touchdowns, was not 100%. I think Najee Harris sort of had his breakout debut that we've been waiting for for a few years, and it's a shame for him that Steve Sarkeesian would not really involve him in the game plan in the first half. And I think if Alabama does go into LSU with a sort of the LSU game with a better strategy on offense that involves Najee in the first half, I think they might have won this game. I think Alabama it's hard to say that those two teams out there aren't two of the best four in football, especially Connor. Like you, you watch that game and you compare it to, and I know we'll get to the other games. You compare it to the rest of the landscape. You look at Oklahoma needing a two point conversion stop to beat Iowa state. You look at Penn state lose at Minnesota and there was nothing fluky about it. Minnesota just kind of beat, beat the doors off Penn state a bit. And whatever, you know, the Pac-12 is what is what it is at this point. I don't know how Alabama, I know we have four weeks to go. I don't know how Alabama isn't one of the four best teams in football. They have they have everything. I know the defense is flawed, but who's going to stop LSU? Like, who, like who, who can do that? I don't know if there is a team that can. So the outcome of LSU beating Alabama, it's surprising, given how long it's been since this actually happened, it's surprising to see it's, to see it come to fruition, but given the quality of the two teams, not such a huge surprise to see LSU go into Tuscaloosa and get that win. What was a massive surprise was Minnesota beating Penn State 31-26. to And maybe you disagree, Trey, I don't know, but I, I didn't think looked especially flukish in how they did it. I mean, you, you do have three interceptions from Penn State and Sean Clifford, which is pretty tough to recover from on the road in the Big Ten, but uh, I mean, eye test-wise, Minnesota looked like they belong on the same field as Penn State, and uh, I, I don't know, I'm kind of reassessing what I'm thinking of the Golden Gophers right now. Yeah, I kind of had the last few weeks I've been thinking about Minnesota and Baylor in the same bucket. And I guess that's important because we're talking about like non-brand name playoff contenders. Minnesota looks, looks better than Baylor. And I, I guess what I mean is Minnesota's got dudes, Tyler Johnson, one of the best receivers in school history, if not the best Rashad Bateman, Chris Hummer did a proof, a profile on him a few weeks ago, former high school running back, kind of a do it all guy down for Minnesota. That, there was nothing fluky about that, and I think people thought Penn State's defensive speed might swallow Minnesota up. That wasn't the case. Minnesota was making plays all day, especially down the sidelines through the passing game. And yeah, like you, you, tur- you turn the ball over three times, you're not going to win many games, but Minnesota like made, made plays on Sean Clifford, and Antoine Winfield Jr. had a heck of a day. Nothing fluky about it. Nothing, I, I, massive for Minnesota, and I think it might cause us to sort of rethink their playoff credentials if they don't win out. You know what I mean? Like we had said, okay, they have to win out to make mm. it. Uh, I'm not saying like Minnesota. I'm not saying like Minnesota can, you know, can can lose to. Uh, it's hard to see anyone beating Ohio State, just like it's hard to see anyone beating LSU right now. But I, I think Minnesota, yeah, like they certainly should be higher than 17. And I, 
I mean, they looked. I guess I'm rambling, but they were the better team than Penn State. I think they would have been the better team on a neutral field too. Yeah, and at least in the very short term, it'll be interesting to see how the playoff committee thinks of this win because last week the Gophers were all the way down at 17 because and you could justify that with their extremely poor strength of schedule. But now, I mean, they just beat the number four team in the country, and I think. Only LSU at this point has a better win. So it'll be interesting to see how aggressive they are in moving Minnesota up. Let's stay in the Big Ten with, you know, if Minnesota keeps winning and they're not guaranteed of winning the Big Ten West, but if they do, they'll face Ohio State in all likelihood <laughs> in, from the Big Ten East. And it was a having nothing to do with the game Ohio State played on Saturday, which they won 73 to 14 over Maryland. It was a very tumultuous uh, weekend for the Buckeyes because on Friday morning, it became public knowledge that Chase Young would not suit up for the Buckeyes game against the Terps. Uh, there were reports that Young could miss four games, but Ohio State's SID said those reports were incorrect and that right now the Buckeyes currently have no expectations for how many games Young could end up missing. Trey, I mean, how big of a blow? Is this a situation where we think if the Buckeyes can get over the line in the regular season and hopefully get Young back? Or I don't know. How are we, how are we processing this information? Are you kind of... I'm, I wonder if I'm like you in processing it more of like a, what this means for Chase Young. Because I think it's very clear Ohio State, they certainly won't need him versus Rutgers this weekend. I don't think they're going to need him versus Penn State or Michigan either. I'd be interested to get your thoughts on that. I just think about this as more of a Chase Young welfare scenario. You know, we've got a, we've got a kid. Yeah, he broke the rule. He took a loan he wasn't supposed to from someone who, you know, he had not had enough of a prior relationship with to not classify this as like an, you know, unauthorized amount. But I just feel bad for Chase Young. I feel bad for his, you know, pursuit of NCAA sack history. I feel bad for his Heisman chances. I wonder now if he'll even get an invite to New York. It certainly doesn't affect his draft stock, but kind of sours, sours his year a little bit. And if, if, you're, if there's any doubt, there should be none. This is the biggest story in college football this fall. What, Chase Young? Chase Young. I, I think, I think, yeah. I, I think, you know, how this is handled and the fact that maybe it's because it happened on the same day that over in college basketball land, you know, Memphis's James Wiseman, who might be the number one player in the NBA draft, is dealing with a similar situation. Yeah, I, I think, I thought this was the biggest story when it dropped on Friday morning of the college football season. Okay, we've got the best player in the sport in a time when the winds of the NCAA are trying to change doing something that's fairly innocent, but technically against the rules. You know, it's like, you know, it should be nothing more than a slap on the wrist. If he has to miss four games, I think that would be just really unfortunate for Chase Young, but Ohio State would, would be fine and, and won't won't need him until the playoff. Yeah, and like you said, I think it's really unfortunate, and his Heisman chances are probably toast at this point, yep. less because I think the Heisman electorate is likely to punish him for this, but just because you miss, you've, you've already missed one opportunity to kind of chip into the, to the deficit you've got toward the sack record to ha potentially have those, have that something that's on the line during those games against Penn state and Michigan in the last two weeks of the season. So that's, that's unfortunate. Anytime you have a chance to witness greatness and a player, you know, in the, in the final season of his college career, kind of have a chance to 
reach for something we've never seen before and then be denied that opportunity. It really sucks. Hopefully there's still plenty of football left for Chase Young in front of him, whether it's college, NFL, whatever. So, you know, maybe he looks back on this as just an unfortunate speed bump along the way to a very successful career in football. But it in the short term, it really sucks a lot. And selfishly, as an enjoyer of the sport, it sucks to see one of the best players. I mean, one of, if not the best player in the sport this year, kind of robbed of some opportunities potentially to really shine on a, a big stage late in the year. Yeah, I was really excited to see him play Penn State of Michigan. As, but again, I don't think they need him. <laughs> yeah, perhaps not. Perhaps not. You never know. Rivalry game on the road. Never want to say for sure. But uh, Ohio State proving on Saturday. And really, I mean, not a whole lot to take out of that 73-14 to 14 win over Maryland other than maybe just that the degree to which Ryan Day appears to have this team focused, especially in contrast to previous Ohio State seasons, and I know Maryland's got awful, but it's it really feels like we're looking at a different Ohio State team than we've seen in years past. Talent is still there, but the level of concentration to have a massive distraction like this going on and to not lose, lose, a, lose a single step and be extremely dominant uh, against against a, a conference opponent, really impressive. This is what the best teams of our lifetime and of what college in college football history do in the weeks in which no one's watching them, and they just go out and pound their opponent. You know, you, anytime you drop seventy points, especially Connor, like I would not have blamed Ohio State for having a real snoozy one here because you got the Chase Young stuff. You still got Rutgers next. You know, you're cakewalking, but. Yeah, I mean, this. we talked about LSU being maybe a team of destiny. Ohio State looks like a team of destiny, too. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I would be interested to, to know the Vegas line between, mm. what the hypothetical Vegas line between Ohio State and LSU, and then, you know, throw Clemson in there, too, would be um, as we sort of narrow down the focus from nine great teams to six teams to five teams to four teams to maybe three teams now. Yeah, I. Bill Connolly's SP plus has Ohio state significantly ahead at number one right now. And to the extent that that's, and his, his system is kind of usually in sync with Vegas. So uh, I, I think that would probably be an indicator of like who would be favored on a neutral site there. Um, Let's so (laughs) Trey throughout the Saturday, you know, we're all kind of multitasking, trying to figure out, all right, who's got a comfortable lead. I can switch the channel, tune into another game. So on Saturday night, Oklahoma goes up 42 to 21 on Iowa State with 347 left in the third quarter. And I'm like, great. All right. I don't need to think about this game anymore. Good job, Sooners. You did it. You beat a you you beat a salty Iowa State team. But uh, the Cyclones were not done. They fought back and down 42 to 35 with 24 seconds left. They throw a uh, Brock Purdy throws a touchdown that might have tied it if they decided to be safe and go for the PAT. But Matt Campbell elects to go for two. And in that instance, Brock Purdy's pass attempt was picked off. And the Sooners end up prevailing. They kind of stave off a reverse Kansas State here. Um, So, (laughs) Trey, I mean... You were kind of touching on this earlier, but man, eye test wise, this is, it feels like Oklahoma, even though the results, Kansas State aside, are still 
their wins and not losses. It feels like eye test wise, we're sliding in the wrong direction here. I think so too. And you won't find many people who respect Iowa state more than me. I love Iowa state. I think Brock Purdy should have found his tight end in that end zone and, and won the game here. Oklahoma's favored by two touchdowns. I give them credit for coming, you know, for, for finding a way to hang on to win, but I don't think this should be a win that helps their chances. Cause not only did you not cover, well, you obviously almost lost. You know, good, good to better than good Iowa State team here in Norman when you should have been laser focused too. I, uh, I mean, we've got OU versus Baylor next week. It's sort of a, you're a Big Twelve game of the year, but I, I think Oklahoma, you're right, is sliding away from the tier they should be trying to reach as far as the best teams in the country tier, and I think because of who they can play. Going forward, where you've got Baylor twice, maybe you've got number 23, Oklahoma State. OU's going to have a really nice shot to improve its playoff resume. Regardless of that, I don't think they look right now like a top four, top six, seven team in football. I think the Pac-12 and Alabama right now, if the season ended today, should get a nod over Oklahoma. Speaking of Baylor... Boy, uh, boy, did they play a weird game. This was not. This is not one I've got really gotten to spend much time with. So I'm kind of uh, going based off the box score here. But man, in a day when LSU and Alabama put the dreadful memories of their 2011 game of the century meetings together, you had a Big 12 game look a lot like a early part of this decade SEC game, and really. Uh, in score really closely resembling that LSU win in Tuscaloosa. It was TCU gets out to a nine to nothing lead on all field goals. And then slowly throughout the second half, Baylor chips into that lead with all field goals and eventually ties it up. And despite never crossing the 300 yard mark on offense, Baylor comes out with a 29 to 23 win in triple overtime. Wow. <laughs> Baylor is uh it must've, you know, made a sort of nice pact with somebody. I mean, Baylor is living dangerously right now, but living well too. I I keep thinking this house of cards is about to topple over and that probably happens next week. And I guess you'd rather be lucky than good. I'm not sure Baylor is very good though. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, you're there. Hey, it's November 10th. It's, it's really, really, really hard to be undefeated right now, but they're, they're, they're skating by against, pretty mediocre teams yeah i mean these are not these are not big 12 powers they're beating here yeah so next week i guess it's a matchup of big 12 playoff contenders who have been trying so hard to lose for the past month but uh for the most part winning um so uh what not a whole lot to talk about in acc land clemson blew the doors off of whoever they played i've already forgotten nc state it was 42 to zero at halftime Mm. But Clemson is doing, I mean, we talked about Ohio yeah. State blowing teams out. Clemson's starting to do that now, too. Um, so I, I think potentially more consequential for Clemson is the result that happened in, in Blacksburg, where you had Virginia Tech beat Wake Forest 36-17. to uh, We're looking at a scenario where Wake Forest might have been Clemson's only top 25 win. Um, so now that's, that's probably off the table, at least in the short term. Deeks could, but what's the what's the consequence for that? I guess the consequence is when we get to the playoff committee. Seating? Yeah, and we're looking at seating. We're looking at you know 
potentially head to head? How does Clemson's resume stack up against another team's resume? I mean, we've seen last week the committee thought poorly enough of Clemson's resume to put them fifth, despite being the defending national champions, despite being undefeated. And so, I mean, it, it, so I think we're, it's, it's a big knock on any opportunity that Clemson might have had to improve its strength of schedule. And maybe also just as big a, neg- uh, a blow to that is South Carolina losing to Appalachian state at home. Uh, so. That's true. That's true. That's true. And I, we, you know, we'll save our predictions for tomorrow. Yeah. I think, I, th- I think Connor Clemson and, you know, going into the day on Saturday, it's, it is what it is. Clemson cannot lose a game yeah. and make the playoff. But Clemson's in if they win out. So, but uh, that's a you know interesting little teaser for our predictions because mm-hmm. I think I know where Clemson's going to be Tuesday, but you never know. But no, it's uh, the Wake Forest is is or not the Wake Forest. The ACC is very very bad this year. Very 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 bad. Although, can we give some credit to Miami for a big blowout win over Louisville? Mm. And FSU mm. winning too. Mm. FSU, yep, yeah, going on the road to BC, getting it yeah. done with the interim head coach. Uh, All they had to do was get rid of Willie Taggart. <laughs> um, so let's head out to the Pac-12. Uh, you know, we kind of focus on the, the 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 playoff race as kind of the grounding for these Sunday podcast discussions. So we we haven't really talked much about the Pac-12 because Oregon and Utah were both on a bye, but we should point out that. Southern Cal stays alive in the Pac-12 South race with a I don't I don't know whether it was a Vegas upset but it was a moral upset I guess on the road against Arizona State. <laughs> yeah, Arizona State playing without uh, true freshman quarterback Jaden Daniels. USC true freshman quarterback Keaton Slovis had four touchdowns in the first quarter. I kind of thought this was going to happen. I'm not going to take too much credit because Arizona State didn't have its starting quarterback, but the whole like. The whole Clay Helton's tenure has just been impossible to predict. Yeah. Especially this season. You think they're dead, they win. You think they're going to be, you know, here we, here we go. They're going to knock off, you know, Washington, and then they lose. So, I think Clay Helton's done regardless. But, I, you know, I, I think it's cool that his team is still fighting for him because there's no way he's coming back. And yet, here these guys are on November 9th, you know, still trying to play football. And I, I, there's not, not every team does that. And if you don't believe me, go read the Sports Illustrated story about Virginia Tech throwing in the towel last year and not wanting to make a bowl game. The midseason coach firings really kicked off last weekend with FSU pulling the trigger on getting Willie Taggart out of town. Arkansas follows in FSU's suit on Sunday by firing Chad Morris following Arkansas's 45-19 loss to Western Kentucky. Chad Morris's reign in Fayetteville ends without him ever notching a single SEC victory. I, Trey, I, th- Chad Morris, this hire seemed like such a smart move for Arkansas, such a good hire, and I think we all expected it him to have some measure of success even even after the winless sec season last year he recruited so well in the face of that tough season that we all kind of thought hey just a couple of breaks start to go their way on the field and he's really going to have something going here but it has never really materialized yeah it's going to turn out to be just a disastrous tenure i think i think when he got hired there was you know plenty of optimism but when you look back, the warning signs were there. His record at SMU, and I know he took over a 
you know, a very bad program. I don't think he had a, a, an above 500 record in three years out at SMU. So you kind of look back at Chad Morris and at Willie Taggart in the same way, and you go, okay, I think, I think if it's a, it's a power five school, it's an SEC school, ACC school, I think I need to have, I think I need to see more from this coach at this previous stop. I don't think now that I look back on it, I don't think that I like Willie Taggart taking three years to get things going at Western Kentucky and South Florida. I don't like Chad Morris, you know, never being above 500 at SMU. I like that Chad Morris knows offense. I like that he's, you know, worked under Dabo Sweeney and, and has sort of that, that culture and that philosophy. But I don't, I don't know where Arkansas goes next. We were talking about this in the office the other day, Connor. It's like, has Chad Morris ruined this roster or this team or this program so much that a Gus Malzahn might say, uh-uh, I don't want this anymore. Or a Mike Norvell at Memphis goes, eh, I'm walking into a, a, a no-win situation. That'll be what's interesting is, is the damage here where you have losses to San Jose State and Western Kentucky in the same year. Does anyone see this as a, as a, as a short-term fixer? Because you have to be able to fix in the short term. You do. I mean, now we have two coaches who've gotten fired, you know, before two full seasons. Yeah. And I mean, if there are just too many examples out there of coaches needing a lot less time than these like four or five year rebuilds that you kind of hear yep. people talk about sometimes that even in I mean, I, you really have to look no further than what Matt Rule is doing at Baylor. There was not a worse situation at a Power Five program in the country than the one that he inherited. And three years later, they're in the playoff hunt. So, yeah, I mean, they were mar- they were you know great point. They were marred by, I mean, they weren't. It wasn't like it wasn't like a Brett B- Bielema mess. It was like an absolute disgrace. The Baylor right. had a black eye on it, and they had one. You know, he took over a one win team. Great point. And, and even, you know, staying in the Big 12, Chris Kleiman, Kansas State, yeah. replaces a legend who had sort of let the program sort of crater. He beats OU in year one. It's, uh, and hey, we've got people spending money, a lot of buyout money going around. I mean, Connor, this is, now now Arkansas is paying around $10 million per buyout if, if they're still pay, paying Brett, Brett Bielema's and, you know, maybe they're going to have to force some of Gus Malzahn's buyout too if they want him. Mm. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, we ask that you do one thing this week to help spread the word about the show. If you need a suggestion for a thing you could do to help spread the word about the show, I don't know. How about leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts? That'd be pretty great. For Trey Scott and our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Monday for our College Football Playoff Selection Committee Top 25 Preview Edition of the College Football Daily.